I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On a night where the Maple Leafs betrayed their fan base and blew another three-goal lead in a playoff game, I once again betray Mike Stevens and move forward with a quick solo pod to discuss what was a 4-3 overtime loss in Game 3 of the play-in round versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's Pierre-Luc Dubois completing the hat trick late in the first overtime period. Uh, It's nothing short of a disaster. Uh, The Maple Leafs are going to have to come back to this arena, come back to the Raptors dressing room, I suppose, uh, and try to stave off elimination less than a week after the restart because they're down 2-1 in this five-game series. They blew a 3-0 lead, a 3-1 lead going into the third period, and this just feels like the same story all over again. Uh, I tweeted that this team looked comfortable after the second period, after they give up that first goal in this game, because it looked like a different team. New coach, new opponent, not the Boston Bruins. Maybe this team was just ready to take that step, but the same thing happened. And we know we can kind of look at the game and, you know, you know why it happened. You know, Maple Leafs are missing Jake Muzzin. They've got a, what seems like a liability on each defensive pairing. And even so, they played reasonably well at times. Uh, but two players in particular, and I'll get to that, just decided they weren't going to lose this game on the Columbus Blue Jackets front. Uh, and they stormed back and they tied the game, forced overtime. Leafs, again, were pretty good in overtime. Uh, but it was Columbus with the breakthrough. So... Uh, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to start at the end and work my way back a little bit because uh, it was an interesting post game. It was brief, uh, but Sheldon Keefe was not happy with uh, what he saw today, even though it looked like the Maple Leafs were pretty good for two periods. Um, he said that they got what they deserved today. He said he didn't like the game at one, nothing. He didn't like the game at two, nothing. He didn't like the game at three, nothing. He didn't like the game at three, one. He certainly didn't like it in the third period in overtime. And yet it seemed like the Leafs were pretty strong for two periods. Uh, so whether he's, you know, trying to send a message, uh, what exactly he's doing, I'm not sure. But, I mean, it is time to pull out all the stops in terms of how you're going to fire up this team because we are about 20 hours removed from having to come back here and play this game four, which the Maple Leafs need to win or else uh, it's curtains on the season. Um, so let's get to what happened. I mentioned two players in the Blue Jackets. Those players, I think you could probably figure out, were Pierre-Luc Dubois and Seth Jones. Dubois, hat trick, completed in overtime first, I believe, in Blue Jackets postseason history. Uh, he scored the late goal in the second period on the power play. Uh, and once again in the third period, Jones got the other goal. Uh, Jones does a lot of other things other than just scoring the one goal. He's a force out there. 
Uh, but Pierre-Luc Dubois, after having a shouting match with John Tor- Tortorella uh, in game two, came back and had maybe one of the biggest performances in the history of this franchise uh, in terms of what it means and, and what he did on the ice uh, in a playoff game. Uh, just, just a Herculean effort from him. Clearly the best offensive player on the ice tonight. And if he wasn't the best player, the best player was Seth Jones, who uh, seemed to take over this game somewhere in the, in, the, in the third period, about the halfway point. It's interesting that Justin Bourne tweeted that these seem like Muzzin minutes starting now. And right when he tweeted that, you started to look back at the Leafs back end and who they were rolling out there and who was just holding on. It seemed rickety the entire time. Uh, and at that point, Seth Jones started flying out there and he took over the game from the other end. Uh, uh, obviously from the Blue Jackets um, side, of the, side of the ice and just sort of to insert his will onto this game. And after that started, it was a little bit of a snowballing effect. The Maple Leafs settled things down, looked like the better team, even though they weren't really generating much in the overtime period. But they always looked susceptible to the counter in that overtime period because they weren't doing much. And it seemed like that that counterattack was just coming, just going to come eventually because – as much as they press forward and press forward and press forward, but didn't really generate anything. It just seemed like there was less and less presence around that blue line in a neutral ice. And then, and then when you got that turnover, which the Columbus Blue Jackets did force on John Tavares, they went the other way and it was the right guy getting the puck in Pierre-Luc Dubois to finish this off. Uh, so that, that was sort of predictable. There was a bit of a predictable act, uh, aspect of this because the Leafs with all that zone time just could not create any meaningful offense, it seemed. Uh, and there, I don't want to call it a rope-a-dope because the rope-a-dope would imply that the, the, the Maple Leafs were throwing punches, but it really, they weren't, they weren't doing that. It didn't seem like they really had anything to offer, even though they were controlling a lot of the play in overtime. It felt like, from my vantage point at least, that it was going to come back the other way eventually, uh, and it did. And uh, I guess immediately that kind of looks at that back end and the rickety back end and, and the liabilities at, at every layer of the defensive core. Um, but that's probably not the reason why they lost. I mean, I mean, they, they had clear possession and John Tavares coughed it up and they went the other way. Um, it just seemed like uh, the reality with Muzzin, without Muzzin did show eventually, even if it was John Tavares who was most culpable on that goal. Uh, but it's true. There is a liability on every pair. There is a player playing in a position where they shouldn't be on each pairing. And that's something you can't escape if you're the Maple Leafs without Jake Muzzin. You cannot escape the fact that at every pair, in every matchup, every time the puck, every time the game is on, every shift, the Maple Leafs are at a bit of a disadvantage with their defense. Uh, I asked Sheldon Keith about the performance of Travis Dermott, um, who was probably the, the player that had to take on the most, obviously moving up into, uh, into a pairing with Justin Hall. And obviously Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin were the shutdown pairing and the two players that were tasked of going up against Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, and he, I asked him about um, Dermot. He paused, and he, he definitely uh, dodged the question saying, I thought that as a team we didn't help our defense, and our defense didn't help itself. But in pausing, as long as he did, I mean, it wasn't that long, but the way he answered the question made it seem like he obviously wasn't very happy with what Travis Dermot did, and I can't imagine that he would be. Um, based on how the game did go. I think another thing that's pretty evident because 
the Leafs are in a world without Muzzin is that the Jackets were willing to assume a little bit more risk in this game. Uh, as much as they did have five men behind the puck throughout overtime, they seemed like they invited a bit more of an open ice game, uh, at least in the first period. And, and I think that contributed to them falling behind maybe just a little bit. But they were more willing, I think, to trade blows in this game because they knew every time they'd go up the ice, they might have uh, they might have an advantage on one side. And as I mentioned, if there's a liability on every pair, that means one side of the ice they might be able to create some mismatches on. So. Uh, I just thought that they were they cha- the Jackets changed their game. Obviously, there's going to be a response to having a bad game too, and probably, well, definitely their worst performance of a game, but uh, in the series, but a game where John Tortorella said they just flat out sucked. That they were going to make some adjustments, and I think that was it. They they were a little bit more ambitious with their attack, uh, partly because they needed to be, partly I think because the Maple Leafs are just at a disadvantage now with their defense, and they moved through neutral ice a lot easier with l- way less resistance. It seemed. Uh, Mitch Marner pointed to the fact that the Maple Leafs just didn't have very good transition defense tonight. Uh, and that's true. And I think a lot of that is because the plays along the boards at the point, a little indecision, some hesitation sometimes. The Jackets were just able to create their opportunities from their own end, from getting out of their blue line and moving through ice quick. Uh, and obviously that's what happened on the uh, overtime winner. The other thing I mentioned, Tavares obviously popping up the uh, the overtime or the giveaway leading to the overtime goal, but Alex Kerfoot uh, definitely has uh, deserves some um, criticism for this game. Uh, three goals before three regulation goals for the Blue Jackets. Kerfoot was sort of at the point of attack on each in terms of the Blue Jackets regaining possession that immediately led to a goal. Uh, the first two goals there was. Failed clearance attempts, both of them quite weak. One all the way through the middle of the ice on a penalty kill uh, that eventually, again, found Dubois. And then a weak clearance attempts that was picked off by Jones, and he came in and, and, and beat Freddie Anderson, who, again, was brilliant in this game. I, I don't think you can really fault him at all. Uh, and then the third goal, uh, the second Dubois goal, he just kind of lost a puck battle, fell on his butt, and uh, it went the other way. Again, another example of how the Blue Jackets could gain possession in their zone and just freely move through center ice and create a chance for themselves on that goal. It was, it was actually pure Luke Dubois again. I mean, as many times as I mentioned him, it's pretty clear he had a good game. Uh, he actually, while handling the puck, outraced, gained ground on Kasperi Kapanen, who was back-checking in that instance. So uh, it just seemed like the Blue Jackets had a lot more of an, a lot easier time uh, creating chances for themselves in their own zone because there was far less resistance and just not as precise play from the Maple Leafs at between the two blue lines uh, and, of course, in their own zone as well. Uh, obviously, a lot of uh, the focus was on Cody Ceci in this game. Uh, he's one of those defensemen who would be considered a little bit out of place. Um, I guess the top line minutes would have been split with, you know, uh, Dermott and uh, Hall but CC and Riley were certainly a focal point in this game. And CC selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. CC was very – I wonder if he had some different instruction given to him for this game because he was just activated. He was in the, in the, in the I guess, the Leafs' number one pair of Riley and CC. He's the guy that's supposed to be, you know, that safety valve that's staying back trying to make that simple play while Riley can be more mobile. But it was CeCe who was activated throughout this game, and that included a moment uh, while shorthanded where Kerfoot pulled up and sent it back to him, and he opened the scoring with a fortunate bounce off the toe or off the heel. I guess not the heel, off the top of the foot of uh, Seth Jones. Obviously, he gets praise for that. but there were some very sloppy attempts from him in the lead up to that. And that in itself was a sloppy attempt that was going well wide. He pounded a shot that was going well wide and was likely headed for the corner to, uh, you know, carry him off the boards and send the blue jackets away on a rush, but got the fortunate bounce off the foot that went into the net to open the scoring. So not only did he, you know, earn some praise for opening the scoring in, in a moment that, it was unexpected for him, but he avoided potentially the opposite happening with that shot missing the net and sending the Blue Jackets the other way. So it was very fortunate on multiple levels that he was able to, you know, score the goal, but also avoid what seemed like another mistake in the game for him. Uh, his partner, Morgan Riley, not as good, I don't think, in the first two periods, but he was brilliant as this game went on. He made an amazing defensive play to save the game in overtime and I thought he I was thinking oh wow clearly Maple Leafs do not or the Blue Jackets have the best defenseman in the series and they probably do in Seth Jones but Morgan Riley it seemed was up to that task and wanted to meet Seth Jones at that level in the third and third period in overtime I thought he was very very good speaking of the defense I guess the big narrative coming into this game was the fact that the Leafs went with the 12-6 the usual uh, format for a team's lines and pairings. Uh, there was a lot of talk about them adding Sandine to the fold and going with an 11-7. And I've always been a big fan of the 11-7. We talked about it on Live Laugh Leaves a lot. Uh, and it was actually because Muzzin was out way back when, uh, leading into the, uh, the, pause, the pause on the season. And that's because, I mean, he's literally in his name. They call him the specialist. Martin Marincin was in this game. He's the other liability on that third pairing. And he is the specialist because he's good at one thing, and that's penalty killing. So he can penalty kill. He can be in the lineup to do that. But if he's out on so many – having that many five-on-five five minutes, it's going to be a problem, and it was a problem. And he didn't play that much, it seemed, down the stretch. Um, but if you had seven defensemen, you could have him killing penalties and actually doing a good job in that department. Well, you have Rasmus Sandin handling the bulk of the five-on-five five minutes and, and doing what you believe he's going to do 
for many years for this team, which is provide quality play and not be that liability. Now, I guess the reason was that Sheldon Keith liked his fourth line from game two. And that's fine. Pierre Engel is fine. And he was fine again in this game. But wouldn't you like that fourth line if it was, you know, a combination of Austin Matthews and William Nylander and John Tavares rotating through at center? I think you'd like them just fine there as well. So I wonder if they rethink that um, because there was just too many holes in that back end. And you know what happens when you go with 11 forwards? You get more of a good thing. The Maple Leafs have all their money tied up in forwards. So you go to more of a good thing. You eliminate Pierre Engvall and you introduce more Matthews, more Tavares, more Nylander, more Mitch Marner potentially. So I wonder if they go back to that. Well, I, I, they did, I think, for only a couple of games in the regular season. So I wouldn't be going back to that. I guess it would. But it would be, you know, trying something new in this postseason. And I think they have to consider that for sure. I guess the one bright spot of this game, I mean, there were bright spots before, uh, but they've been spoiled now, uh, is Nick Robertson scoring his first NHL goal in any sort of scenario. It happened to be that, you know, he's had a truly unique first NHL goal played in an empty stadium or an empty rink uh, in a play-in round, a qualification round for the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm not sure if there's been any first goals yet in these playoffs, but surely he's one of the, the very few that will have a first goal like he did. Uh, and it was typical Nick Robertson, right? He likes to just put his head down, skates, take the fastest path to the, to, toward the net, and let that shot go. And he beat Jonas Corpisalo. It was the last action Corpisalo saw uh, because he was pulled right after that for Elvis Merzlikens. Um, but it was, a great, it was a great moment for him, obviously. Great moment for the Leafs. It might have been what kind of put them into this malaise, if you want to call it that. I don't really – I don't actually – I don't subscribe to the fact that they were, they were sleepwalking after going up three because I actually – I actually tweeted that I thought they were more comfortable after that 3-1 goal with their game than I've seen in previous playoffs, all, all the games. Everything we've seen of the Leafs in playoff games, they were starting to just – they looked very comfortable. The creativity, they were, start, they were starting to stunt on the Blue Jackets a little bit late in that second period, and I thought that meant good things. Um, clearly it didn't. But back to the, the Robertson goal, obviously that's what we're going to probably come to expect from him. Uh, uh, we don't know how often he's going to score at the NHL level. If he can do it even close to what he did at, at the junior level, obviously he's not going to reach those heights. Um, but, you know, if, if there's any question of whether he should be in the lineup or not, I mean, the guys that he's fighting for, Pierre Engvall's, Frederick Gauthier's, they are not scoring goals in that fashion. And it's clear that goals are at a premium. The Leafs are going to need secondary scoring. Uh, Nick Robertson proved that he can provide it. He might have to do it again. I love the celebration, by the way. It was Austin Matthews-esque, sort of crouching over and screaming. It, looked, it literally looked like a carbon copy of an Austin Matthews goal celebration. Uh, the last word I want to touch on is Mitch Marner. I thought this was his best game. And it's interesting that saving a goal earlier in the game sort of unlocked his game as a whole. I think right after he, he stepped in and, and saved a sure goal, I believe it was on the power play. I don't remember who, who he denied. Um, but he started – it looked like he woke up after that point, danced in, ringed one off the bar, created some other, some other chances for the Maple Leafs. I thought he was very, very good at times. Uh, un, not noticeable enough, obviously, down the stretch. Um, but if Mitch Marner – those are the simple things, right? Your game can be unlocked by doing something great that doesn't involve goal scoring or setting up a goal. 
Mitch Marner is an important player beyond the reasons uh, beyond reasons that would stem from the offensive zone. He's an important player and in all zones, penalty killing, just being a, a strong force, five on five force, someone that is tilting the ice in the Maple Leafs direction and making impact plays at both ends. Uh, and Mitch Marner did that uh, at least early in this game. When we thought that we were going to be able to, we we're going to have Stevens on here and it was going to be, you know, a fun end to the show. I mentioned that Mitch Marner or that Martin Marincin's name, nickname is the specialist. We're going to list the things that Martin Marincin specialized in tonight. And obviously we thought, you know, there's going to be some funny things, some things, you know, that we're poking fun of it a little bit about, but hopefully some good things as well. I got a little bit of a list here, but I don't think any of them are quite, uh, quite complimentary to Martin Marincin, who kind of showed that he had limit, showed his limitations early on in this game. You know, he just iced a puck when skating through, through, skating through center, full speed, little to no pressure on him. That's what he specialized in tonight. Specialized in intercepting clearance attempts, intercepted clearance attempts through center, rather. And he specialized in long shots floating harmlessly into Jonas Corpusalo's glove. Maybe there was a little bit of penalty killing prowess for him, but it was largely as we would expect from Martin Marincin, who is going to be a problem as long as he's in the line, as he's in the lineup. As long as he's in the lineup with, with five other defensemen, it looks like he's probably going to be a problem. And it's something that the Maple Leafs, I think, are going to have to address. They were not afraid to make changes after the game one loss. I think they're going to have to make changes after this game three loss. But they're going to have to, they're going to, have to do it in short order because the Maple Leafs are going to be back on the ice in less than 24 hours with their season on the line. A season that was interrupted by a pandemic that restarted about eight weeks ago with informal practices as Ford Performance Center opened up just for five skaters at a time. Uh, and about six weeks of that, training camp began, and the Maple Leafs looked like they were a team that was ready to go, that was ready to take advantage of this, ready to, you know, forget about everything that happened this season and take advantage of this moment to use a real training camp under Sheldon Keith to get better and do the things that he wants to do to refine the processes of a new coach that's not stepping in on the road uh, for Mike Babcock, who, you know, there's still a little bit of bruising from that era, probably, at least there was during the course of the regular season. They could heal those wounds. They could, you know, steady the processes. They could figure out how they wanted to work as a collective. And they could take this opportunity that is unprecedented and completely unique. And in order to do that, the Maple Leafs are not only going to have to win Friday night against Columbus in their own rink, but a home game for Columbus, and then come back two nights later and beat them again uh, to take the best of five series. Uh, it is the same old story. The Maple Leafs are facing elimination in another playoff series. It's not the Bruins. It's not game seven. Uh, but it's just as dire a situation right now as the Maple Leafs face elimination after blowing a three-goal lead. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Mike Stevens, I promise you, will be back for the next one. He surely has many takes. Uh, and it's either way, it's going to be interesting. Either way, it will be interesting. Uh, that's all I can promise. So we'll catch you next time. Uh, Leafs, 4-3 losers. Columbus Blue Jackets in overtime. Series is 2-1, and it resumes Game 4, Friday night. We'll do it then. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.